Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at wweek.com. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode of the Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. We have a very special show for you today on this December 25th, Christmas Day 2021. But it's not just Christmas. We have another milestone to talk about. This is our 52nd episode. So we've done 52 straight weeks. That's one full year of content for you guys. So to commemorate being one year old, we have a very special guest. Dr. Ashley Streig joins us today on our podcast. She is a professor who studies and teaches paleoseismology. She is a seismologist, which is a fancy word for being an earthquake expert. You may be wondering, why do we have an earthquake expert on our show? You may not have gotten the memo, but Portland is expecting a high-impact earthquake that is also expecting to put Portland in the center of what is called the subduction zone. And it's also been in the news recently as Oregon recorded several small earthquakes, which has reignited concerns about this potential quake. I had a very interesting conversation with Dr. Strike. I wanted to know more about what we can expect from what's known as the big one. And she provided a lot of answers. This interview is full of scary conclusions hopeful problem solving and an education on the earth and i'm saying this very honestly to you it is one of my favorite conversations that we've had all year so i don't want to delay you the joy of listening to this podcast and listening to this interview because it's really interesting so without further ado here's my interview with dr ashley strike let's go back to when i was in high school went to lincoln high school and I started hearing about this thing called the big one, my first uh-huh. year, freshman year, and, and, and my sophomore year. And the big one, the only thing I think most people know about it is there's like a good percentage chance that downtown Portland might get liquefied or be in the, the red zone of this massive earthquake over the next you know several decades. Can you give listeners like myself a better understanding of what the big one is, what might happen to Portland? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, you know, I think that that phrase, the big one, it, it scares me too. <laughs> but, you know, what I can say is that we have a lot of different types of earthquake hazard. And one specific type of hazard that you're referring to is a subduction zone earthquake. And it's called the big one for good reason. Um, it doesn't make the title any less scary, but um, subduction zones are locations where tectonic plates collide and one plate dives beneath the other. And so that's happening off our coast. And those types of plate boundaries, these subduction zone boundaries, accommodate 90% of earthquake energy that happens globally. Okay, and so that's, that's pretty significant. They generate the largest earthquakes that we record um, at the Earth's surface. So for that reason, it's a thing to be concerned about. We have this fault offshore that can generate some of the largest magnitude earthquakes, as large as, say, the 1964 earthquake that occurred in Alaska. One thing that I think a lot of Americans and other people in first world countries take for granted is our ability to respond to minor hazards, you know, minor earthquakes, minor tornadoes. 
But as we've seen with climate change and also with other things that are unpreventable, like this issue where it is kind of a time bomb that we're dealing with, is that, you know, Mother Nature can take everybody, you know, regardless of where you live. Are we going toward a time where Americans can get ready for living in constant fear of climate induced issues and also with Portland, these time bomb issues of our fault lines? Like, are we going down that road as we've seen in Kentucky, as we've seen all throughout forest fires? The events of this week, and like you're mentioning with the forest fires, I think it has us all really reflecting on how we interact, our built environment interacts with the natural environment, right? As population grows, our footprint grows, and we intersect more and more with a lot of these hazards of living in areas of susceptible of wildfire, or as we've seen in Colorado, debris flows, you know, in, in areas, populated areas as well, landslides. Um, we have that issue here as well. I think an important thing is that we have to understand that it's our intersection with these phenomena that were occurring anyway. And some of them, of course, are occurring more rapidly, as you're mentioning, weather is changing, climate patterns are changing. And so we're seeing really great extremes on what that looks like. Things like landslides and, and, and that I mentioned earlier, debris flows, um, that really is us encroaching into areas where these things were already happening. The risk is really the environment that we build and how it responds to earthquakes. And I think the best thing we can do is to design for that risk. And we've seen great successes in other places like Japan. After the Tohoku earthquake in 2011, within a day, they had cleared a runway at the airport and were able to bring in supplies because that runway had been improved, the ground had been improved so that it withstood liquefaction. Willamette Week would never do this. Willamette Week would, you know, we're far above this, but a lot of papers, a lot of media out there, TV, print, whatever it is, they obviously get clicks and they sell fear to people who are right. who are reading. And so they, you know, every couple months you can log on and you can see somebody writing an article about how you, we are doomed and your family's doomed and you have to prepare, you have to buy this thing or read this article. But honestly, speaking with me right now, what do you think, if you were a betting person, what percentage are you putting on the likelihood that this occurs? I know it's a hard question. Everyone in your in your industry that's very fact-based and has spent so much time hates answering my percentage questions. But if you could just, you know, humor me, what percent of is the likelihood that you think in the next 10 years this will happen? You know, it's 321 years into the earthquake cycle. The last large earthquake was in January, January 26, 1700. Okay, so that was the last large earthquake, magnitude nine earthquake on the Cascadia subduction zone 321 years ago. We know based on the geologic record that these types of earthquakes occur every 250 to 500 years. And so based on that, I think we're well within the window. I I couldn't, I would say that I'm prepared for it. It's something that I anticipate will happen in my lifetime. I'm also very aware of the range of uncertainties on these things. And so something that in geologic time, remember, I'm talking about hundreds to thousands of years, or even when I say hundreds of years for a geologist, it's next to nothing. Um, You know, we're talking about really long time spans. And so when we start getting down to that hazard over a, a decade or two, that's pretty good when you consider how complex all of the inputs into that forecast are. So we're talking about you know, how strong is that frictional contact between the North America plate and the diving Juan de Fuca plate? That's the thing that ultimately drives when, um, when it fails and an earthquake occurs. I want to ask you, how prepared is Portland? 
we've done a great job. I think a problem that we have is that as humans, we naturally see these big events that occur. And they, you know, something like what's happening this current week with the tornadoes, it's on our radar and we're thinking about it. But 10 years from now, I doubt that many of us will be talking about it. So we have a really short attention span. And because of that, we tend to see funding for these hazards kind of happen in spikes and then troughs, declines, where you know no one's really thinking about it and it's not gonna happen to me. But you know, the fact is it probably will. Um, and it is something that we need to continue to remind ourselves that this will happen and that the responses need to happen in, in the immediate hours after an earthquake. It needs to be community, community responses. So we need to have that network set up within our community. Um, and we need to do what we can um, for me as a geologist to make sure that we're contributing to the understanding of how the state will respond, how we'll get aid in there and what the bigger picture looks like. Yeah. And I know you got a busy day of grading, but I do want to ask you about this and I want to, I want you want to let you get back to that, but I want to ask you about this real quick. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but I do want to go more in depth with you. What should Portlanders be doing today to help themselves out when the, when the inevitable happens, when this does happen in our backyard? Yeah. You know, it's a really great uh, question. And again, I'm an earthquake geologist. And so Sometimes I can almost separate myself from the research I'm doing and I and I I'm not thinking about that that hazard or the plans I need to have in place, even though it's it's the thing I'm thinking about on almost a daily basis. Um, so I think that steps that I'm taking are, you know, I work downtown at Portland State um, and my family resides in southeast Portland. Um, and so that means that I need to have a plan in place with the understanding that there will be a lot of damage. Um, cell phone towers will likely be down and communication disrupted and people are going to be wondering if we're okay um, and I won't be able to reach out to my partner um, and so we have to have a plan in place and so our plan involves things like the way in which I'm going to get home because I have to cross a river and I understand that the deposits along all of our rivers are liquefiable sands and that we have a lot of old infrastructure. Our bridges aren't anticipated in most part to respond well to an earthquake. So we're expecting that most of our bridges will fail in the event of a subduction zone earthquake, um, with the exception of the Selwood Bridge, which has been um, updated. And so my plan is either by bike or by foot to get myself down to the Selwood Bridge, walk across that bridge, and then continue my walk um, to my neighborhood in Southeast Portland. You know, it's, it's fascinating because all of that stuff and everything that we've talked about today, it seems to be on the outside. It seems like tinfoil hat stuff, know where your canned food is, know where you and your neighbors are going to meet up, but then hearing, wow, we are way overdue for this thing. And that's supposed to happen within the next, you know, several decades to maybe a century, right. you know, it is not as tinfoil. I came in and I was hoping you'd be like, yeah, it's like a 5% chance it'll happen in the next, you know, 300 years. Be like, okay, I think, you know, I'll be well, okay. I can... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, I can share, you know, we, in moving to Portland and, and taking this position at Portland State, um, we decided to purchase a home and I'm a sleepwalker. I'm, a, I'm, ve I'm very much a worrier and I sleepwalk primarily when I'm worried about something. And so having that mortgage, I found myself wandering the hallways at night. I'd wake up and be like, whoa, where am I? And I was always responding to and having this dream that I would say, okay, it's happening. 
And I realized I was really nervous because I had this huge mortgage hanging over my head, you know, the most debt I had taken on in a single purchase ever. Um, and my house wasn't bolted to the foundation. And if your house shifts just a few inches, it's a total loss, especially mine. It has a basement, right? If you went shift, anything could happen. So, you know, bolting the house became a priority for us because one, I would sleep better. Um, but two, it meant that we would still have a structure. We have a wooden frame home that, you know, should endure shaking fairly well. We'll probably have some damage to the facade. Um, you know, we may have some cracking in, in um, plaster, but I don't anticipate much worse than that. Do you think it's fair to say you won't be buying any beachfront property any anytime soon? I love the water. I'm a swimmer and I would love that more than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I probably will not. <laughs> That's fair. One of the reasons why I have you on is not only to talk about the big one, because that was kind of where my brain was at. It's how it affects me, how it affects a lot of our listeners, but also the recent news Tell us about what that means. What's the recent news? Give us a rundown. 35 seconds. Go. <laughs> sure. We have a couple of large earthquakes that have happened since December 8th on the Blanco Fault Zone. And so this is a transform fault at the southern margin um, of the Juan de Fuca plate that's diving beneath North America um, along that subduction zone. So essentially what's happening is this plate is diving beneath North America and it has these transform faults on its sides that accommodate as that dives below, it accommodate, accommodates that, um, that strike slip motion between it and the other plate. So in this case, it's between the Pacific plate um, and the Gorda plate to the south. So these earthquakes have happened on that transform fault. So it's a strike slip fault, much like the type of motion you see on the San Andreas fault where one side of the plate is moving with respect to the other, the other plate. Um, these earthquakes, essentially tell us that we live on an active fault boundary. What they tell us is that that oceanic Juan de Fuca plate is continuing its motion. It's diving beneath North America and it's loading our fault zone. And again, the subduction zone is locked because of friction between North America and that diving plate. But at some point you load it enough and friction will be overcome and that earthquake will occur. Always trying to keep my balance, but my surface gets simmer. What used to be a bridge is now the width of a razor. The ones who care about me watch my face get thinner. Their eyes get more concerned while mine get dimmer. Started out having fun, just another way to play. Well, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you same time, same place next week for episode 53 in the new year. Till then, take care. For Lama Week, I'm Hank Sanders. See you Saturday. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast